Blue Wire. Touchdown pass, 5-4-0 in the 5-0-4. Jason takes it himself, look at him jump back and forth. Oh, he broke his ankle. Watson stays on his feet, throws on the run, touchdown. Watson, a magician. Mahomes winds it up, wide open as Hill. Welcome back here to another episode of the My Sports Update Football Podcast. I am your host, Ari Merov. This is episode number 40. Yep, 40 episodes of the podcast already, which is just incredible. And we got some good news over the weekend in the football world as the union and the NFL have agreed to terms on having training camp start on time. And by the time you listen to this podcast, most teams will have already reported for COVID testing. We also got a bombshell trade over the weekend as the Jets pulled the trigger and traded Jamal Adams to the Seattle Seahawks for a package that includes two first-round picks and more. Now, I talk about all of this with the guests that we have on this week, which I'll get to in a minute. But I said in the past on this podcast that there was no chance the Jets trade Jamal Adams unless they're able to get a package similar to what Jacksonville got for Jalen Ramsey. Joe Douglas got that and then some for a player who really didn't want to be there, for a player who requested a trade, a player who was calling out the general manager, calling out the head coach, calling out the owner, becoming a distraction on social media. And it was really interesting to me because Seattle obviously clearly believes that adding Adams will potentially get them over the top. But keep this all in mind. First of all, the Dolphins last year traded Minka Fitzpatrick, another safety, to Pittsburgh and they only got back one first round pick. That was for a player who did not need a new contract, who still has a few more years until he has to get paid. In this case, Seattle paid two first round picks and more for an elite safety, don't get me wrong, a really good player, but one that needs a new deal at a time when we expect the cap to drop next year. And we learned on Friday that the cap next year, if it drops as we expect, it's going to be no lower than $175 million. Now, this past year, or right now, the cap was at $198 million. So that is almost a $25 million drop, assuming that the revenues do go down like we expect. So I do like Adams being added into the secondary in Seattle. It's a great fit. But I did find it interesting that they were so aggressive and were willing to part ways with not one but two first round picks and more to get a player who will need to get paid at some point. I'll add this also. I always thought that if Seattle was going to make a trade and we all got the sense that Seattle would do something to bolster this team. But if they were going to make a trade, I always thought that they would go after Yannick Ngakwe in Jacksonville, right? We know the importance of having a pass rusher. Seattle needs that especially now that Jadavion Clowney, who is still a free agent, but it sounds unlikely like he'll be there, I always thought that they would go and try to aim and get Yannick out of Jacksonville, someone who is just 25 years old, someone who I believe is already a great pass rusher and will only continue to get better. But no, Seattle decides to go in a different route. They decide to go and help the secondary, and they paid a huge price to make it happen. 
All right, on to this week's guest, and my guest this week, he is a former NFL offensive lineman. He played eight years in the NFL, and he is now an NFL and college football analyst. It is Jeff Schwartz, and with everything that's going on in the NFL where training camp is starting, but there won't be pads until August, there's no preseason, there were no OTAs, it was good to get somebody who was a former late-round draft pick who had to work his way to make an NFL roster, and for him to explain the circumstances in the NFL and how tough and weird it will be for so many around the NFL this year. We also talked about the Jamal Adams trade, the ramifications for both teams. He also made some predictions for the upcoming season. And I also talked to him about his NFL career. As I said, he played eight years in the NFL. He played off the Panthers, Vikings, Chiefs, and Giants. And he shared some great stories from his days with those teams. Before we go to Jeff, a quick word from our sponsor, DLDash.com. If you have not heard of DealDash.com, it is a bidding site where you can win things you never expect at a price you never imagine. They have over 1,000 auctions each and every day on various products including electronics and appliances. How does it work? It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and it only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, Deal Dash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign up among their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the promo code UPDATE, U-P-D-A-T-E, or go to DealDash.FM slash UPDATE. Again, that is DealDash.FM slash UPDATE. All right, so now here it is. Let's get right into it. Here is my 45-minute discussion with the former NFL offensive lineman, Jeff Schwartz. As we discussed the NFL, we discussed the upcoming season, we discussed the latest news, we talked about his NFL career, and much more. Here it is, my full discussion with Jeff Schwartz. All right, joining me now here on the My Sports Update Football Podcast. He played in the NFL for eight seasons. He is now an NFL and college football analyst. He is a columnist for SB Nation, and he has a podcast. Jeff Schwartz is smarter than you. It is Jeff Schwartz. Jeff, thanks for coming on. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I appreciate you coming on here, Jeff. You know, here in New York, things are getting better. Um, baseball is back, which is good. Um, we're hoping that football starts on time. So things moving in the right direction, but still a lot of work to do. Let's start by talking about the big news that happened over the weekend. The Jets trade Jamal Adams to the Seahawks. I said this all the time that there was no way the Jets would trade Adams unless Joe Douglas gets an offer similar to what the Jaguars got for Jalen Ramsey. And they got that and more from Seattle. What were your thoughts on the deal when it went down? So I think it benefits kind of both teams, right? So you know, Jamal Adams definitely wanted out from New York. It was very clear he wanted out. And Joe Douglas got two first-rounders and a third-round pick. Mm-hmm. He got a haul for Jamal Adams. And I understand you know, the idea of, of you know, not wanting to trade franchise-type-level players. But it's important to note here that Joe Douglas did not draft uh, Jamal Adams. And there mm-hmm. is a connection between – the players that a general manager drafts and the players they do not draft, right? There's more of a connection made with the players that, that they do draft, right? They, they put the time and, 
and, and learning about them, especially if they're top draft picks, right? I mean, Jamal Adams uh, would have had to be researched extensively more than probably a seventh round pick by Joe Douglas. So there's no emotional connection to Jamal Adams and he clearly won out. So he was, was shipped out for a considerable haul. And you look at Seattle's side of, of, of this and it's a lot to give up. They're eventually going to have to pay him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, are those first round picks valuable or not? And so the question I have, of course, is, is, is this, are they one player away from being Super Bowl contenders? And I don't quite know that. There's a couple of things to, to consider here. One is that the best example for this is Teron Matthew, right? Was signed by the Chiefs last year. But the Chiefs also traded for Frank Clark and have Chris Jones, right? The Seahawks have none of those two pass rushers. So, you know, adding Matthew was great. And he was a, a very impactful player, a captain. Um, it's hard to, to, to understate what he did for the team, right? Like he was, he was fantastic for that. But they also had these other pieces. Seattle doesn't have those pieces. And, and lastly, the more important part about this from Seattle's side is that they're going to win or lose this season based off of if they allow Russell Wilson to be Russell Wilson or whether they play this slow prodding, run the ball first um, type of, of, uh, of, you know, of game. And then Russell Wilson saves them at the end that Jamal Adams is not going to help them win or lose games on that. So I'm curious to see, you know, offensively if they, if they're any different. Um, But I, uh, I I understand why both sides did it. I think the the winner of this, if you're, if you're choosing a winner is definitely going to be, um, uh, the Jets in this. Yeah, it's a very interesting trade to me because, again, Adams is someone who requested a trade, called out the GM, called out the owner, said the coach is a bad leader, you know, and the Jets were able to trade him for two first-round picks plus, and they don't have to pay him top money, even though he is a great player. Warren Sharp was on this podcast last week and explained how he is more than a safety. He does more than what a regular safety, a regular box safety would do. So there's a lot more to Jamal Adams. He's a great player. But as for Seattle, you know, you look at Seattle and their history with first round picks. It hasn't been so great. You know, you look at their last three first round picks, Rashad Penny, LJ Collier, Jordan Brooks, all three guys were considered reaches when they selected those guys. Now they don't have two first round picks. John Schneider has had success when it comes to picking in those mid to late rounds. So they believe they are a team who can make the Super Bowl. They won a playoff game last year and they just added a dynamic piece onto their defense. I want to ask you this as well because I wonder this and I actually said this when Jamal initially requested the trade. If Jamal gets his way, which he did, will more players start doing the same thing? Because we really haven't seen this in the NFL much because for the most part, the team controls the player. Do you think more players will try to do what Jamal Adams just did to the Jets? Um, it's all about leverage, right? So it's easy to go ahead and you know say you want to leave, but you have to have the leverage to do so, right? And, and you have to be willing to go out on a limb and speak poorly about your coaches and your organization. <laughs> you know, Chris Jones, for example, held out or was the threat to hold out and the chiefs paid him, but it, there was no like animosity between him and you know, Andy Reed and, and Brett Veach, right? Like there was no, it just was business. And so mm-hmm. the difference between like business and then personally attacking the, the organization. And so we, we don't have a lot of people that personally attack organizations. We have players that, don't want to be there, right? Don't want to be in a certain situation. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but you know, it doesn't feel like, I mean, Earl Thomas is one, right. He kind of, you know, gave it to Seattle middle yeah. finger them. He was in Dallas's locker room one time, yeah. you know, but like, like even Le'Veon Bell, I'm not sure Le'Veon Bell was, there was like, there was obviously, it was a negotiation between him and the Steelers, but I don't think there was like straight up the same animosity he had that Jamal Adams had for the Jets. It's hard to have that with the Steelers because they're a different franchise. Yeah, I think the only one that really had it was um, Antonio Brown last year with Pittsburgh. But he's crazy. Like, I mean, that's not the normal. Right, but he's like the last player that I could recall who called out the team, went on social media, requested a trade, and then got his way. We don't see this in the NFL at all. Because, like, again, the the Jets – didn't have to do this, right? Like they, they didn't have no, they had no obligation to do it, but they're presented with such a deal that they had to do it, right? So no matter how much players want to complain about their deals, there still has to be a reason why the team that they're you know dealing with you know wants to trade you, and and obviously the the, the two first round draft picks were <laughs> a huge reason why you know they ended up making this deal. Right. So Adams is now in Seattle. He got his way. And it just makes this NFC West division so much more stacked, right? The 49ers made the Super Bowl last year. The Seahawks made the playoffs and won a game. The Cardinals with Kyler entering year two. They have a, they made a bunch of additions as well, including DeAndre Hopkins. And the Rams, you know, I don't want to count out Sean McVay. So how would you stack up this division right now after the Jamal Adams addition to Seattle? This is a good question. Um, look, I think that the most talented team top to bottom is the Niners, but there is a considerable question about Super Bowl hangover, which may or may not be as big of a deal this year because of the odd offseason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but they, they're clearly the most talented team in, in, in the division. They have um, maybe the best top to top to bottom you know, coaching staff in, 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 in the division as well with, with Robert Sala and with Kyle Shanahan. And so I'd put them at the top, but I still think Seattle's fairly close. I mean, just because of Russell Wilson, like he is that good of a player, right? Yeah. Um, he's that good of a, of a player that's able to lead you back in certain situations. Mm-hmm. I think the Cardinals are next. Um, the Cardinals are up and coming. In my I was probably wrong about Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury. Obviously their defense has got to improve. And to me, the Rams, they're just getting older. Like, where do they get better? You you either get better in the offseason or you don't, right? Look, look yeah. Seattle obviously added Jamal Adams, okay? They're 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 better, okay? You know, the Niners added Brandon Ayuk, uh, Kinlaw, and you know, they obviously let Buckner go, but they added, you know, they added pieces early in the draft to, to be better. The Cardinals, DeAndre Hopkins, right? They're better. The Ram are the Rams better? No. Right. I don't think there's any other division in the NFL that I'm looking forward to watch more than the NFC West. Like, that division is stacked. The rosters are stacked. The coaches are great. The quarterbacks are all starting caliber quarterbacks. So that division is amazing. But as for the Rams, you know, there might not be any other team that lost so many pieces the way the Rams did this offseason, right? From Todd Gurley, Dante Fowler, Eric Weddle, Nikel Roby Coleman, Corey Littleton, Wade Phillips is no longer there. They lost a bunch of guys and a bunch of key pieces there. But as I said before, I am a Sean McVay believer. And as long as he's there, I'm going to believe in the Rams. But man, that division is just stacked and it's going to be easily the one division that I'll be watching very closely. I do want to shift over to what's happening in the NFL right now. You know, you were a seventh round pick by the Panthers and you went on to have an eight year career. Now, if you were a rookie this year, do you think you have a career in the NFL? Because 
looking at things right now, there's this gradual phase in period, no pads until the middle of August. How big of a deal is it that they don't have a preseason this year and the camp is just so limited? It's a huge deal. And, and I was practice squad my first year and I, I might've still made it with a limited practice because of just my size and my upside. But, you know, for anyone trying to make the team as an undrafted free agent or seventh round draft pick, it's been a rough year. Even, even, even going back, you know, even going back to say March, April, May, when pro days got canceled. Right. So, so younger players didn't even get drafted at the same level that they had been in the past, right? We, we, we saw undrafted free agents just get drafted at, at a much, much lower level yeah. um, uh, because the, you know, the film wasn't there, the pro days weren't there, and now you're asking them basically to have a short and reduced camp and still be able to play and try to make the roster. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Teams are going to choose veterans over, in my opinion, over younger players in a year where, look, someone might test positive on a Friday and you got to play a rookie on Sunday, they'd much rather have, in my opinion, a veteran yeah. ready to play in that spot than have a rookie. So um, it it sucks. I feel bad for younger players. It's just it's it's a it, it's I just I feel terrible for them, man. I just I don't I don't like it. Yeah, it, it's tough and it's unfortunate because teams are already cutting down from ninety to eighty just so they don't have to be in a split squad. And I saw Adam Thielen of the Vikings on Friday say that. If he was a rookie this year, he would not make it in the NFL. And there could definitely be an Adam Phelan on someone's roster right now. And they're going to get cut before stepping foot on the field. And as you said, it just sucks. It really does. But that is the circumstances we are in here in 2020. What about this? You know, the union on Sunday sent a memo to all the players and they outlined what the definition of high risk conduct is. Players are basically prohibited from attending nightclubs or a bar or an indoor house party, concerts, etc. And if they're caught and they contract COVID, they could lose their pay while they're out. Now, do you actually think players will abide by this? You know, Lou Williams in the NBA already got busted and their season hasn't even started yet. Now, I know he apparently just went to get food, but still, he went out of the boundaries. How do you see this going? Do you think it's hard to imagine this going 100%, right? Well, they're going to have to. I mean, I think that you know, there's a, a heightened responsibility for players to do what they have to do off the field to stay healthy. And is it fair to um, college players, let's say, if they end up um, you know, having you know, a cultural season? No. <laughs> is it unfair to, to pros? Probably not as much because they're getting paid. And if your team tells you, hey, man, you got to stay out of a bar this year, you have to stay out of a restaurant, you have to make sure that you do the things that, that are needed to get ready to play, um, you know, maybe they'll do it. And I'm, I'm kind of for this. Look, it, it's, it's, it's an odd season, right? It's an odd season. And it's not going to be fair. It's not going to be normal. And if teams feel the need that, hey, we have to make sure that, that you know, you stay healthy, that we stay healthy. Well, you can't go to a bar. You can't go to a strip club. You can't go eat in an indoor restaurant. Then you just can't do that this year. Now, depending on the region, there's plenty of regions where this is already happening, right? You mentioned you're in New York. I'm in Charlotte. My parents are in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, you can't do any of that right now. Yeah. Okay. So, like, you know, if you're a Rams player or you're or you're a Chargers player, you can't even 
they're not even open. There's not even a chance to go to a bar, a movie theater, a restaurant. In Charlotte, North Carolina, we have bars sort of, they're not really open, but they really are a little bit. Um, and, you know, you have, you know, they, you know, you have indoor dining. My wife and I have been out just, just two times in about a, a two months um, to eat inside. Um, and, you know, it's tougher to get in trouble in, in North Carolina. You know, you're in New York. Nothing's, you know, they're slowly opening up, right, Manhattan. They're slowly yeah. doing more things. But if you're a player in Florida right now or you're a player um, in, in Arizona or you're a player in Texas where things are more open, there's a possibility you can get out, get out and get in trouble. So I understand the NFLPA wanting to make sure that, um, you know, that the players uh, try to maintain as much – distancing as they can throughout the season because everyone wants to play and and that's what it comes down to you know do you want one selfish player to ruin it for everyone else probably not right so here's the thing for me let's just say let's just say 98 percent of players abide by these rules they behave they do what's right and two percent don't and because of that there's going to be an outbreak for one of these teams right that's going to be a major problem for the NFL and we just saw what happened for the Miami Marlins where they had a bunch of players test positive a few coaches as well and that really brings me to my next question here because yes the NFL still has time to figure this out and I do believe they will figure it out but looking at things right now do you believe we're going to have a full football season considering the fact that football has more players more coaches more staff and simply put Football is a more contact sport than all these other team sports right now. I think they're going to start. Whether or not they finish is another question. Um, you know, the Marlins you know, situation, of course, you know, you know, it's it's not good. But I definitely think that if it's just isolated to the Marlins and let's say the Phillies, right? And actually, you know, getting and by the time that this podcast posts, we might know the results of the Phillies test. Mm-hmm. But if none of the Phillies players got it from the, from that's good news, right? That means yes. it's just containing the Marlins, and they just have to forfeit, like either forfeit or bring up or bring up you know players from the minor leagues. I saw they really have no one available, you know, no one with really game day, you know game experience to play, yeah. and you just play the games because look, the reason why we're playing is money, right? As gross as that might sound, that's the reason why everyone's playing, mm-hmm. right? Is so everyone can make money, and so if it's just getting a team on the field then just you find players to get them on the field on the nfl side look if entire quarterback room gets it you guess what you're out two weeks you bring in a quarterback and yet you, you, you run the ball every play right like you like you don't you you know like you have to again i go back to appointment earlier like it's an unfair year right 2020 has been an unfair year it has been that are not ideal and part of that is trying to play sports through through COVID in America, especially. It's 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 really disheartening as an American to see uh, all these other leagues that are playing overseas that have been able to manage, uh, you know, to play sports and you know with some have fans and and not get anyone infected. It's it's disappointing to see where we are in this country. But you know, it's it's an odd year. So you, if you forfeit a game, you forfeit a game. Like it's just going to be a weird year. Well, I haven't heard anything about forfeiting games in football. I mean, I can't imagine teams forfeiting two weeks in a 16-game season. That's essentially, I mean, that's huge, right? But then again, what if a team's entire quarterback room tests positive the morning of a game? We just saw in Washington in baseball, Juan Soto, their best player, test positive right before their season opener. What if that happens to an entire quarterback room? What if that happens to the entire offensive line room the morning of a game? You're not just going to find 
five new offensive linemen on Sunday morning to protect your franchise quarterback, right? So in a way, I kind of understand where you're coming from. We haven't heard anything about forfeiting games. I haven't seen anything about that. But then again, we should expect the league and the union to give us an update about what's going to happen. As of right now, I really don't know what to expect in such a circumstance. And that is just, I mean, again, it's going to be fascinating to watch. This entire season is going to be weird. Um, That's why it's like people making predictions about this season, like anything can change any moment. That's why it's kind of tough to do anything, but we'll see what happens. I do want to shift over to your career, but um, I want to start with a question about your brother first, because one of the questions that I always ask my guests who come on on here is, who do you think is the most underappreciated player in the NFL? And I've gotten a bunch of different answers. Your brother, Mitch, is a perfect example of someone who is underappreciated. You know, four-time All-Pro, but never got voted to the Pro Bowl. There was this top 10 offensive tackle piece on ESPN. He was not on it. There's this NFL top 100 player that's happening right now. Does not look like he's going to be on that list. He is just utterly consistent, but gets no respect. Why do you think that is? You know, my brother is a technician, right? Like he's, he's not a player who's flashy. Um, he's not out there, you know, doing a lot of media. He's not out there like pancaking dudes and talking shit about everybody after the play. And like, he's just, he doesn't make waves. All he does is block the person from him, which by the way is, is important. It's like, it's like, that's your job. And so I just think that all of that kind of adds into why he's not as respected. Um, that is, uh, is is probably why. By the way, as we're taping this, um, this is important for our conversation. By the way, it's just rolling through Twitter. I can do two things at once. Yeah. I'm going to break some news for you on your show. Ready? All right. The Vikings. Go. This is Peter King. The Vikings say VP of Sports Medicine, head athletic trainer Eric Sugarman is the uh, team's infection control officer, has tested positive for COVID-19. Oh, wow. So, first of all, look at you getting ahead of the news before me. But, um, yeah, so it's already starting, basically. Yeah, that's pretty big. Yeah. Yep, I see it here now. So, yeah, it, listen, I mean, I hate to say it like this, but we're going to have a lot of these coming up in these next few days as training camp starts to open around the league. You know, this is a staff member who just got it in Minnesota. But then again, as players report, as players go do their tests, we're, I mean, the NFL just created a new list, basically a COVID list, where if you tested positive or you've been around someone who tested positive, you go on this list. A bunch of rookies went on it yesterday. We're going to have more going on today and even more in the next in the next few days as more players report. And, you know, Dr. Allen still said, we are going to have positive tests around the NFL. It's going to happen. It's just a fact. So it's starting now. It's going to continue to happen. And the biggest question is, how is the NFL going to handle it? And as I said before, they're going to get to see what baseball does now with the Miami Marlins. They're going to see how what happens in basketball, what happens in baseball, what happens in all these other leagues in case they do have outbreaks. So there is an advantage there, and um, it's starting, man. It just is. Yeah. All right, so let's go back to where we were before, and you were talking about your brother Mitch. And I've said this before, by the way, about your brother. If you were not on Twitter, I really believe that the general fan would have no idea who he is. Like, I really believe that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Like you're, you're always outlining what he does and how, how great he is. And like maybe PFF does as well. But after that, like you never hear about him and it's crazy. And I've said it, if you're not on Twitter, the general fan would have no idea who he is. And I truly believe that. Yeah. 
So let's talk a little bit about you now, your career. Mitch is entering year nine. You played eight years in the NFL. And as I said earlier, you were a seventh round pick by the Carolina Panthers and you spent your first four seasons there. You know, making it in the NFL is not easy. Making it as a seventh round pick is even harder. And, you know, I was wondering who were some of the guys on that team who helped you learn the ropes in the NFL during your first few years in the league? Um, well, look, Jordan Gross was my mentor. I mean, I think this is, it's so important to like find yourself a mentor, um, in, in any walk of life, but I would, I would not be able to, you know, do any of my career probably, you know, without Jordan and Ryan Cleo was helpful too, as well. I, I just, I couldn't I even mean, Jordan changed my stance and just my mindset about football and, you know, just being able to understand him because I came from Oregon, right? We were in a, a spread offense. And we were, you know, an offense that did not translate at all to the NFL. Obviously now it's a little different. And I just wasn't really, wasn't really like ready to play yet. And Jordan helped me get ready to play. He helped, he learned, he taught me how to watch film. He taught me how to train. He taught me, um, you know, what I need to look for in, in each, uh, in, you know, each, in, you know, each situation. Um, and so um, that was supremely valuable to me. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Jordan Gross, of course, former first round pick, spent his entire 10 or 11 year career in Carolina. After your four year stint with the Panthers, you signed a free agent deal with the Minnesota Vikings. And that was the season when Adrian Peterson rushed for over 2000 yards. He was coming off an ACL injury. He won league MVP. Being on that team for one year, were you surprised in a way that he was putting up those numbers? Because it's easily one of the best comeback stories in NFL history. Yeah. You know, I wasn't, you know, su surprised to see that just because Hall of Fame players are different. Like, I, I try to explain this to people. And, and you watch a game long enough now. Like, when you watch a Hall of Fame player play, right, mm -hmm. they're just different. Like, you know, we see like Pat Mahomes. You know, big, big guys, for example, big quarterbacks. When you watch him play he's clearly different than like 29 other quarterbacks, right? <laughs> like, you know, as of right now, you know, who's, who's, well, I guess it's more than that, but like who's, you know, sure fire hall of famers playing right now, right? Brady, obviously, well, there's more than that. So maybe it's like, you know, Brady breeze, um, you know, big Ben, Aaron Rodgers. Those are probably four guys that are, they're in. Yeah. Wilson as well. You know, and Wilson, I should say, yeah. but like, you know, those all six guys, like they're just different, right? They're different than everyone else. Mm -hmm. And Adrian Peterson is just a different cat. All, they 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 heal faster. They play longer. They see things differently. The game slows down for them. All these things happen for these Hall of Fame guys, and so um, the the ability for them to play at that high level is obviously it's it's part of their work ethic. It's all that stuff, but like it's just innately who they are. Yeah, and you know, it's quite remarkable because Peterson is still going strong today in 2020. You know, he's had over 2,000 total yards over the last two seasons for Washington and for a guy at his position at his age to still be doing it as you said he's just different right so um yeah it's it's quite remarkable so after that year in Minnesota you sign a free agent deal with Kansas City that was in 2013 Andy Reid was the coach your brother obviously plays for the Chiefs and Andy Reid is his coach now what do you think makes Andy so special and different than all these other play callers? You know, he's just been so successful for so long. All his players love him. What do you see from him? Um, so it's, I think it's his ability 
to always be flexible. This is what Bill Belichick does great too. And that's why these are the two best coaches in the NFL. You know, Andy Reid's not beholden to one thing. Yeah, I mean, look, he's beholden to his offense, obviously. It's a West Coast offense. But, you know, if, if this thing works for this player, he'll put it in the offense. You know, he designs things to help his player succeed. And there's never a no, right? There's never like an hour, like, we're not doing this. We're never doing that. And his its ability, his flexibility just in the building, in the offense – is really valuable, I think, to players. Players enjoy playing for coaches that feel like they have their back, right? That I'm going to try my best to put you in a spot to be successful. And I'm not going to just be hard-headed, hard-headed about it. And that, to me, is what sets Andy Reid apart, is that he's always been able to get the, bo- the most out of, obviously, quarterbacks, but just his teams in general. And players really buy into coaches that are able to do that because, you know, we, we obviously play with coaches that, that aren't, that are rigid and mm-hmm. try to fit, you know, a, a box into a, a circle um, or really a box into a peg. And it's, I think that's, that's what sets him apart off the top. And he's just a great human, man. He's just like, he's fun to be around. He enjoys life. Um, he's got a great family. And so all those things I think kind of make it uh, very easy to like Andy Reid. Yeah, but it was pretty cool to see basically everyone around the NFL proud and happy that he won the big game last season. I have a feeling that won't be his last. Um, After Kansas City, you end up with the Giants for two seasons. I know that was those years were a bit injury riddled, but I have to ask you, playing with Eli Manning, I've heard a lot of stories that Eli has a bunch of pranks up his sleeve. Did he do anything to you, or do you have any good stories, good Eli stories? Uh, no, I uh, I don't. I, I was, you know, I was there kind of the end of his time, you know, with the Giants. He had a, an offensive line that was there for for so long um, that, you know, we just, you know, when I got there, and Eli's great. I have nothing you know, negative to say about, about Eli. Um, but we just, the, the pranks just weren't there uh, when when I was there. And I was hurt a bunch. I wasn't always on the field. I was in the locker room. So I, I didn't see, I didn't see much happening. I wish, I wish I did. I wish I could tell you a great story, but uh, not much happening. I hear. It. I mean, Eli, there are some great videos on YouTube of him just taking somebody's phone and then switching the language to Chinese. I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, I've been told that it happened, but I wasn't there to see any of that. I mean, there's a video of him with um, Scott Hansen, Larry Fitzgerald, Greg Olson. He takes a woman's phone and they saw it. I mean, they saw the language change and I just don't know how he does it. Um, so it's quite incredible. And there's a bunch of other stories. Um, you know, we don't get to see Eli that much in the public. I mean, his Twitter game is amazing now. Um, but um, we didn't get to see much as a public. But when you hear stories about him from other people, there are some hilarious ones. Um, one more question here about the Giants. Um, the Odell Beckham Jr. catch, if people go back to rewatch it, they'll see you were the first player running from the line to celebrate with Odell. Yeah. So what do you remember from that catch? And what was the talk on the sideline after he made that grab? Well, you know, I saw the play happen and I ran down there and gave him a big hug, obviously. But what, what I remember most about this play um, is the, the buzz in the locker room, well, excuse me, the locker room, the sideline, was something that I'd never experienced before in an NFL field. Like, there was this energy going through the stadium that everyone sort of realized something special had happened. And... I mean, it lasted for five, 10 minutes afterwards. Like there was just like this, this like aura on the field. And we lo- we even lost the game, I think. Yeah, you did. It was just like, like, just like, it just, it felt different. It felt like this was something that, that we had witnessed that was incredible. And I will never forget that feeling. It seemed like goosebumps. I'll never forget like that feeling. It's, it's pretty amazing to, think about that moment and just kind of like, I mean, Odell went from, you know, being 
you know, good player and people knowing about him sort of to being obviously a legend, a superstar. I mean, he gained like a yeah. million Twitter followers and social media, you know, and, and became an icon right after that. Mm-hmm. That, that was his rookie season. And, you know, remember that he started that year, he was injured with a hamstring. And I remember the New York media was just going crazy that they drafted a guy who can't get on the field. And oh, then yeah. he broke out in his first game against Atlanta. He made that catch on Sunday Night Football, and everything just went crazy from there. It's still going to go down as one of the one of, or even if not the greatest catch um, in NFL history for some. I mean, it, it, it was just I remember like it was yesterday. It was absolutely incredible. And again, people watch the video. You're the first one down there to celebrate. Oh, yeah. um, let's wrap this up here. We do a quick five. We do this with every guest. It is five questions. We try to keep it short. If you want to okay. expand on anything. Feel free to do so. Number one, we talked about how your brother Mitch is underappreciated. Who else in the NFL do you think is underappreciated and doesn't get the proper respect he deserves? Like Chandler Jones is that guy for me. He's an absolutely fantastic rusher. And we always talk about like Vaughn Miller and J.J. Watt and Khalil Mack. I mean, Chandler Jones is up in that category. So I would say Chandler Jones. Yep, I would 100% agree with that. No player has more sacks in the NFL since Chandler Jones in 2015. He has 53 and a half sacks since 2016, an absolute force for that Cardinals defense. And as you said, he does not get mentioned with all the other great pass rushers in the NFL. Number two, which team for you is your surprise team in the NFL for the 2020 season? We talked about it earlier. It feels like the the Cardinals, I don't, and I don't know like what 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 surprise would be like. I don't know what I don't I don't know if they're going to you know to shot you know to win 10, 11, 12 games, but um, they're going to be ultra competitive this year. Um, they feel like that that team that can you know that you know has a chance to to really step up you know on our level. Um, I'm trying to think of other teams around the NFL that you know caught my attention that. I, th- I think this year it's going to be really hard for there to be a lot of these teams because of the, the no off season. Like, like a lot of teams that typically have these type of movements, you know, have new coaches, right? Like in year one, they, you know, they wouldn't be go from, you know, the Packers, right? Six wins to 13 wins. Mm-hmm. But because of the off season where you don't even get to talk to your coach and be in the same building in a short training camp, I don't know if we're going to see like a ton of these first year coaches make a huge difference on a team. Interesting. You know, I like the Cardinals. I don't know if it's going to be this year, but Kyler and Cliff appear to be the real deal. Adding Hopkins was big, but all the other moves they made as well, you know, drafting Simmons, getting rid of David Johnson's contract, signing Jordan Phillips, signing Devon Kennard, um, drafting Josh Jones in the third round was pretty big. I like the moves they made. I think they're an up-and-coming team. Not sure if it's this year, though, but they are a team to watch in the future. Number three here, I know you're someone who likes to set the record straight. I also know you're not a big fan of the NFL Network top 100 players, but last night, Keenan Allen was ranked number 77, and he's not happy about it at all. He took to Twitter, and he said... He named three players who he thinks, if they are higher than him, then he's really not happy about it. And the three players he named were Tyreek Hill, Mike Evans, and Chris Godwin. Now, Evans took to Twitter and he got into it of Keenan Allen. And Evans said, hey man, I'm better than you, deal with it. So who are you taking, Mike Evans or Keenan Allen? Look, I'm I'm taking Mike Evans. But here's something to talk about. This NFL top 100 list is, guys, don't take it too seriously, okay? So players fill it out. When I was in the NFL, 
they come like week 16, 17. They hand you a piece of paper. You'd have to fill it out. I put my brother's name first, then like two of my teammates, like Eli and Odell, and then just my seven friends in the NFL. And hand it back in. Like the idea that NFL players during the season are like breaking down the top 100 players in the NFL is not what's happening. I'm watching film of my opponent. Yeah, do I watch football otherwise? Sure, but it's highlights. Like it's, it's all other stuff. Like I, I'm not just, you know, I, I'm not worrying about the top 100 players in the NFL. People make way too much of this list. It's, it's really, really funny to me. Yeah, it is funny, but I feel like people should be watching it, not for the rankings because I agree a lot of it is wrong, but the videos are actually pretty well done. And that would probably be the only reason to watch. But hey, it's during the off season when there's nothing going on. So there's really no football to watch. They put this list together. Fans love to watch it. Fans love to debate it, right? I yeah, it, it. I mean, it's also, there's nothing on right now. Of course you're going to watch it. Yeah, but but it also shows how much fans crave football. I mean, they miss football that much. They're going to watch this thing. And then they go online and they start debating about it. But back to your point, I don't think you guys even get a, you don't have to list 100 names. I heard you only list like 20 guys. And then the league puts together 100 or something like that. Am I right? I, I don't even know. 20 people, whatever. But like even 20 people, you're just listing the 20 most popular players. Right. I mean, I agree with you. It is a popularity contest. Whoever is popular gets put on the list, just like the Pro Bowl is. But Keenan Allen took it seriously, went to Twitter, got a response from Mike Evans. They got into it. It became a whole Twitter feud. And at this point, when there's not much going on, it created a lot of attention. So some people take it seriously. I do agree, though, that the rankings are a bit of a joke. So we agree there. Number four, I want to go to the AFC East. Many people are high on the Buffalo Bills. Belichick just got Cam Newton. Dolphins and Jets also there. It is early, but who would you put at the top of the division right now? Um, I would put uh, the Patriots until otherwise. Um, like the Bills, I don't, do you trust Josh Allen? I, I do not trust Josh Allen. Um, so it is... Uh, the Patriots still proven otherwise. They have a great defense. I think Cam Newton's going to be healthy. And I'm definitely going with the Patriots still. Interesting. So, you know, I'm not a big Josh Allen hater like some are on Twitter. I do think he has a lot of potential as a quarterback. He has to work on some stuff. But there is something that I look at. You know, we look at what happened to Trubisky in Chicago, to Mariota in Tennessee, to Bortles in Jacksonville. They all make the playoffs one year. The next year, they just collapse. Their fan bases want to move on. Now, I don't think that's going to happen to Josh Allen, but there is some sort of concern for me that it could happen to him. Even though I do like the the coaches they have, the roster they have, I am slightly concerned it could happen to him. What do you think? You said Josh Allen again? Yeah. Josh Allen is not even that good right now. He completed 58% of passes last season. So yeah, you're right. But then again, first of all, his teammates and coaches say he is getting better. Number two, they got him Stephon Diggs. Number three, I do believe he is a true quarterback leader. And the number four, the ability to run, which is underrated for him because he actually had more rushing touchdowns last year than Lamar Jackson, for example. Um, so that's the other element for Josh Allen. Um, but there's still a lot of work to do. The, the, who cares about that from a quarterback? Like, I don't get, we, we're so fascinated by running quarterbacks. Your job is to throw the ball from the pocket. <clears throat> having right. mobility, having mobility is different than being able to run the ball. Mobility in the pocket is fantastic. Running the ball, it doesn't, who cares? So here's the other thing about the Bills. You know, we could agree or disagree about Josh Allen, but their defense is really good. 
Like, that's a top three, top five defense in the NFL. Leslie Frazier, Sean McDermott, they do a tremendous job for that side of the ball. But then again, as you said, you know, the Patriots, I've said this before, I don't care if Tom's not there. As long as Bill Belichick is there, I still believe in the Patriots. So I do think this division is going to be very interesting. I will never count out the Patriots as long as Bill is there, as I said. And, you know, we talked about the NFC West before. The AFC East is going to be interesting just as much. Number five and last one here for you, Jeff. And again, I really appreciate you taking the time here today. Which team in the NFL do you consider to be an up-and-coming team? A team that they're not there yet, but you like the direction that they are going in. I mean, I think the Dolphins, right? I mean, the Dolphins, I know they're really bad, but they did a good job in the draft. They have a lot of money to spend on on free agents as they kind of you know move from you know t- kind of a quote unquote tanking to to becoming better they got the quarterback they wanted I, th- I think the Dolphins are that team well yep the Dolphins did a lot this offseason from signing Byron Jones to pair him up with Xavier Howard they got some edge rushers with Shaq Lawson they upgraded the offensive line they got Tua as their quarterback and then looking forward they have two first round picks next year two second round picks next year Everyone loves Brian Flores as their head coach. They are a team to watch in the future in that AFC East, which we just spoke about. Hey, Jeff, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast this week. Again, everyone can go and follow Jeff on Twitter and on Instagram. It is at Jeff Schwartz. And the podcast, again, it is Jeff Schwartz is smarter than you. Jeff, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Special thanks to Jeff Schwartz for coming on the podcast this week. Once again, if you do not follow him on Twitter, go do so right now. It is at Jeff Schwartz. Go check that out. But that does it here for this week's My Sports Update football podcast. You know, it's pretty awesome that we have baseball back. We know what happened with the Miami Marlins with the COVID outbreak there. We are all going to be watching that very closely. Football is for sure watching that closely to see how that gets handled. As of right now, the plan is to keep on playing baseball. They will not pause play. So as I said, we'll be interested to see how that all unfolds there. But now with baseball back, I do want to remind everyone that there is no better place to start wagering than betonline.ag. Go check out all the odds, futures, and props that they have on their site 24-7. And also with sports coming back, BetOnline, they sat down with a bunch of former pro players, including Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champion Robert Horry. They discussed how will it be this season with sports without fans, and they're calling that series Pandemic. Go check it out, betonline.ag. That is where you get all your odds and all the latest news in sports. That does it here for this week's My Sports Update football podcast. I am your host, Ari Merov. I'll be back for another episode next week. We have another special guest lined up to come on. Until then, stay safe, have a great rest of your week, and I'll talk to you all next week. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere.